So we're in a series on spiritual warfare, and this is our third week of five. And so um, we're going to see some, like John said, some really interesting and I think important things that go on in the, in the spiritual battle. We're looking at some things that are like kind of out there, wow, and some things that are very ordinary and very, you know, incorporated into everyday life as we look at this series together. So today, we're looking at what the Bible calls the flesh. We, we saw, remember, we saw that there's three things at work in, in, in our introductory message, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can see our kind of theme verse up there. We're not going to read that today, but we're going to talk about this thing called the flesh. I'll explain what, what, what's going on. But do you remember the movie The 300, 2006, Gerard Butler? It's King Leonidas of the Spartans. They're taking on the, the massive Persian Empire, and, and King Xerxes has attacked the Greek homeland, and the Spartans have taken up just 300 guys against as much as 300,000 Persians. Nobody knows exactly how many there were, but it was overwhelming odds. So the Spartans took up their position in this narrow passage that the only way to get from the, the sea to the internal area of Greece, and there was a, this impassable mountain on one side, there's the ocean on this other side, and so they, there's only one way through, and it's narrow, and so it, it took away the advantage, the numerical advantage that the Persians had, and they came on onslaught after onslaught after onslaught, and the, and the Spartans continued to repel them over and over and over again, <clears throat> until... There was a Spartan guy, according to the uh, historian Herodotus, there's this, a Spartan guy named Ephialtes who was offended by King Leonidas in some way. And so he decided to go over to the Persians. And he, and he secretly told the Persians about a, a simple, narrow track, like a cart path that went up around through the mountains and came back down on the other side behind the Spartan, the Greek army. And so the Persians secretly uh, moved a, a lot of men back there, and, and so the Greeks were surrounded on both sides, and now they were basically massacred uh, be, with this uh, manpower advantage. And so we've been looking at these external forces. We've been looking at this external battle with the world system around us and the way that humanity thinks and moves apart from God and the influence that it has on us. And, and next week, we're going to be looking at the devil, the role that the devil plays in spiritual warfare, a force outside us again. But today, we're going to have to realize that there's essentially, there's something, there's a power, there's a force within us. There's a traitor within us that's all too eager and willing to collaborate with those enemies that we face. And that, the Bible calls that the flesh. Now... <clears throat> here's the thing, is a lot of Christians have always felt like if I could just find some way to isolate myself from the world. You know, for, for centuries it was the monastic impulse. They could just go live in a monastery with these other people who just want God and they're going to pray all day long and so forth. But today, you know, maybe Christians have an impulse. If I could just live in some kind of a Christian commune or, or some kind of Christian community or if I could just go live in, in, in a place where Christians aren't such a tiny minority or if I could, oh, work for a church, if I could work for a ministry or a church, then that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Then I wouldn't have to worry about the world and the, the spiritual warfare would be, would be easy. 
But what we're going to learn today is that there's this force within every one of us that no matter where you go, you bring it with you. You're going to bring the spiritual warfare with you in any environment that you go into, in any place that you live, because of this force within that the Bible calls the flesh. So we're going to take a look at that today, try to understand what it is, and try to understand how it works, and, and really try to understand the resources that God has given us so that we can have victory. So the first thing I want you to think with me about is the definition, the flesh is a compulsive inner force which is in opposition and rebellion against God. Now, that word that, that translated, there's a Greek word that's translated flesh, and it's used primarily in the spiritual sense by the Apostle Paul. It's used throughout the Bible in a number of, way, number of times <clears throat> to refer to just the physical part of us. Like, I say, you know, my father according to the flesh, I'm just, that just means my dad. Right? He, he gave birth, you know, my mom gave birth, and that's my, that's my physical forebears. Right? So this is the flesh in, in, a one, in one sense. But the way the Apostle Paul uses that word, he uses it in a, in a deeper sense, in an expanded sense. So I do, first of all, I don't want you to think that the Bible's saying that the physical part of you is evil or wrong somehow. That's an ancient, hist- uh, ancient heresy called Gnosticism that says that if it's physical, it's evil. No, God made our physical bodies. God made male and female, and, and he, at the end of the day, he said it was very good. So God made, made the physical part of us, and it's not inherently evil, although we find that our physical being can sometimes be the vehicle through which those sinful urges manifest themselves, it doesn't mean that our bodies are necessarily evil in and of themselves. What Paul's talking about when he talks about the flesh is this inner compulsion, this inner force that draws us away from God, that drives us toward sinful behaviors, toward sinful heart, attitude, actions that are contrary to what God wants in our lives. So there's something that, that just kind of within us that, that bends us away from God, and if left to ourselves, then we're not going to pursue God, we're going to pursue the, the direction of the flesh. And so a couple things, oh, so you'll see it in different translations, uh, Bible translations, in many translations it is, you'll see the flesh, okay, and so I want you to understand, I'm not just talking about, you have to decide, is it talking about the physical or is it talking about the spiritual thing? But many translations, because of that, can, that can be confusing, will use a phrase like the sinful nature, or the old nature, or the corrupt nature, or one translation calls it the sinful self. Okay, so that's what Paul is getting at when he's talking about the spiritual warfare that is involved here with this. So just a couple things I want you to understand about the flesh or the sinful nature. The first one is that it's completely hostile toward God, completely in opposition with God. The sinful nature Romans 8 is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Not sometimes hostile to God, or not occasionally hostile to God, always. Never wants to follow God. It's completely at odds with what God wants in our lives. It's going to drive you to away from God in conflict with what God wants. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but it's like... <clears throat> I think sometimes we think we can kind of domesticate the flesh. 
I saw this thing in the news. Did you see this? This guy, I saw this guy who has the most unusual emotional service animal that I've ever seen. You know, I've seen, you've seen a lot. People have a chihuahua, people have a goat, whatever it might. This guy has an alligator as a, as a service animal. And when I first saw, he saw the picture of him kind of cuddling this out. It's like only about this big. I don't know how big it's going to get. But I saw him cuddling that, and I thought, dude, you don't know that someday that thing is going to bite your arm off. Right? And that's like, that made me think about the flesh. Sometimes we think we can domesticate it, that we can kind of ignore its potential danger and just be friendly with with the flesh. We we can. It's always going to be hostile to God. And then what that leads to is it sets up an ongoing conflict within our own being. Within every single Christ follower, there's this spiritual conflict that results because of that. So Galatians chapter 5 describes it like this. The sinful nature or the flesh wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. There's two, there's two forces within each one of us as Christians that, are, that just want opposite goals, completely opposite direction in life. Now, it, before you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christ follower, then there is no real conflict. There's only one force involved that's going to drive you wherever, and that's, that's going to be the flesh. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't always manifest itself the same way in every person. By your culture, personality, background, upbringing, whatever, the flesh is going to take shape in different people in different ways. But it's always there at work, always there driving you away from God and from Christ. Now, one day, that sinful nature is going to be completely eradicated. Thank God. Why not yesterday? You know, like, but for some reason, God has allowed this to be still in our lives, active in our lives. One day, when Jesus comes back or we go to be with him, then the victory will be over and we'll completely not have to deal with this evil within us anymore. But until then, there's going to be this internal conflict in our lives for the rest of the time that we're on this earth. Now, I know that doesn't sound very encouraging. And um, the Apostle Paul experienced that. You think maybe this is just for people like me who are ordinary Christians who just struggle, you know, I'm going to have my struggles. But the Apostle Paul, this apostle, this, this spiritual giant, we think of him, you know, think, I want you to understand how he grappled with this. And we see that in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You ever feel that way? Man, I want to do the right thing. I recognize the right thing. I recognize it's good. And I set out to do that, but I end up somewhere else. What happened? Like, I ate that last brownie. I didn't mean to eat that brownie or the other one or the other one before that. What I meant, I meant to not be angry and cultivate that angry heart toward that person when they offended me. I I meant to not take that one more drink of alcohol. I, I meant to get up off the couch and exercise. I meant to forgive that person, but I ended up over here instead. 
And he says, he says man, that, I, I feel like I'm a slave to sin and how miserable, he says, that has made me. And I know, I know we can relate to that. We've had those moments where you go like, man, I, why do I keep going down this same pathway over and over and over again? I know where it's going to go, and yet I still make that choice to do that thing that's going to have that consequence. Why? Why can't I break out of that? And so he says, you know, there's, there's going to be this conflict at work. It's like, remember those old cartoons where the cartoon character, like he has a choice to make. And then, the, so the little angel shows up on one shoulder, right? And the little devil shows up on the other shoulder. And it's actually not the devil. It's actually the character, only he's got little horns and stuff. So it's a way that cartoon makers have said, there's this inner conflict between the better and the worse of me. And they're both whispering, you know, do this, do this. No, do that, do that. And in the cartoons, it seems like almost all the time, the character chooses to follow the little devil voice in his, right? Because that's what makes the cartoon interesting, I guess. I don't know. But we feel like, man, that's a lot of times, that's my life. And it's so, e- so easily we'll follow the wrong voice. That's the flesh within me who's saying, do this. No, you want to do this. You're going to like this better. And then we reap the consequences of that in our lives. The Bible says we reap, we're going to reap what we sow. And if we sow to the sinful nature, if we continue to cultivate that and continue to give that uh, space in our life, then we're going to reap. It says we're going to harvest decay, destruction, consequences of, of that life. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged even as I say that because we're going to see, we have to look at some more bad news first, but we're going to see that we're going to end with good news, end with hope and encouragement. We have to take this seriously and really understand what this thing is in us and how it works. So I want to, the next thing I want to explore more about how it works, I want you to understand that Christians can open doors to spiritual attack by dabbling in sin, by living in unrepentance. Now in this series we've been talking about footholds and strongholds. If you've been here, then you know, let me, let me uh, if you haven't been here, let me remind you what we mean by that. Ephesians chapter 4 says, you know, deal with your anger before the sun goes down. If you don't, you give the, the enemy a foothold, the devil a foothold in your life. So a foothold is like, like that, that person trying to keep you from slamming the door in their face. They put their foot in the door, right? Or it's a beachhead into your life, if, to use a military uh, uh, metaphor. So a foothold is when, when the, the enemy, whether it's, whether it's the sinful nature of the world, is trying to get a little bit of space in your life, in your soul. And sometimes we can give that, that space by messing around with sin, by dabbling or experimenting with things that, that we shouldn't be doing. And then what happens is that often then a foothold can become a stronghold in our life when we give it, you know, a stronghold is a defensive position. And so it's like building, the, building a fortress in your life that it's much harder to dislodge. It's not that hard to dislodge a foothold. It becomes really, really hard to dislodge a stronghold or a fortress from our life. And so we use this diagram to talk about how that works. A foothold happens when we, when we dabble with sin, when we dabble with the flesh, and we give it a little bit of room. Like, I don't know about you, but... When my wife's out of town, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily live up to my best view of myself, right? 
because um, I lose that accountability from my partner. And so I'll tend to drift a little bit. I'll tend to let the, let the flesh have a little bit of its way in my life. And so for me, where that takes shape is being lazy. I'll get lazy. Okay, that's not this, the Holy Spirit at work in me. So I'll get lazy in different ways, like leaving all the dish, dishes to pile up in the sink until the night before she gets back. And, or um, just binge-watching a bunch of TV that I don't need to watch whatever program I've been into, you know, whatever. It'll, it'll, I'll eat way too much junk food and garbage. So I have this, this mental picture of myself at like 2 a.m. binge-watching some sci-fi thing with a big bag of chips sitting on the bed in my pajamas. And, and uh, that's kind of like the way the sinful nature is pushing me during those times. Sorry to leave you that image. <laughs> maybe you'd like to join me next time. I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are going like, that sounds fun, Right? Well, it is for a minute. And that's why we allow maybe sometimes the footholds in our lives because it's what the Bible in Hebrews talks about, the fleeting pleasures of sin. All right, now I'm not talking about anything that's like a life-controlling habit in my life or a life-controlling issue, an addiction or whatever. But I've still given in to the, to the flesh. And if I were to continue to give in, or whenever we do, we, we, we can set up a situation where a stronghold can take root. Now, what happens, a stronghold takes root when we then don't repent of the thing that we've, we've dabbled in, right? That's the next step. It's when we're living in unrepentance. What that means is that I don't nip it in the bud. I'm not willing to cut it off. It means when I say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to keep on doing it. That's unrepentance, Right? Or it's like, like, say, you know what, I don't really want to fight the fight on this one. I kind of want that thing in my life at some level. I think I can control it. I think I can keep it in bounds, but you know, ultimately I can't. And it starts to get more power in my life. and starts to, to take over. It's, the, the unrepentant heart is when I say, uh, no, I, ultimately when push comes to shove, I don't want to oppose the sinful nature in that regard. So I'm going to give it the keys to my apartment. You know, I'm going to give it the keys of my heart. Say, come on in. Instead of like resisting it, I'll invite it in and give it an easy chair and put its feet up and bring it a snack. And so you're cultivating the sinful nature and don't want to cut it off. And that's when strongholds come and they're hard to dislodge in our life. So let me give you an example from Galatians chapter 5, which talks a lot about, we're looking at it, well, three different passages today in Galatians 5, because it talks a lot about the, the flesh and how it works in our lives. So... Let's look at um, this passage, Galatians 5, it's, there it is, verses 19 through 21, that talks about what happens when the flesh begins to have its reign in our lives. And you'll see in this list, this list is not exhaustive, but it's certainly representative. And you'll see there's something there for every one of us, right? You say, well, I'm not into that. Well, yeah, but I'm kind of into that. Here it is. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says if your life's dominated by those things, it might be a sign that you're not a Christian. But for those of us who are Christians, he's talking basically to Christians here in this passage. There's a number of different categories of, of 
flesh behavior and attitudes that he brings up. He talks about, he talks about um, sexual expressions of that, immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And you can understand in our culture today how many ways there are for that, that to get a foothold in our life, depending on you know, what kind of entertainment we're watching, uh, what we're looking at on the internet, um, how we look at and interact with people around us when that attractive man or woman walks by. How do we respond to that? And we can give a little flesh, a little uh, foothold in that area, and that can become a stronghold. If we don't nip it in the bud, it can become an addiction, a sexual addiction, a porn addiction. It can, it can really affect the ways that we interact with other human beings in our lives. And then he talks about what you could call, I would call uh, sins of intemperance. He talks about drunkenness and wild parties and other things like that. It's like, you can see how a foothold can emerge. We say, well, I, I'm only going to stay for a few minutes. Or, yeah, I'm going to go to that. Oh, I'm only going to have um, one drink. Or, I'm just going to try it one time. I'm not going to be an addict or anything. I'm just going to try that, that substance one time. And look at all the people who have thought that way and have, have now are dominated and controlled by addictions of different kinds because they made a foothold in their life. Or how about there's the relational ones that you see up here. Um, quarreling, jealousy, anger, ambition, envy. The, the kind of things that affect our relationships with each other. And you know, a foothold might come in when someone says something that I found offensive and I start to hold a grudge. I, I won't forgive that person. I start to like, oh, mold that over again and again and again. Or we get in a disagreement or, or um, someone says something that, that was negative toward me. And you can see it, all these different relational things that what happens is then they begin to get a stronghold and the relationship becomes broken and a wall goes up where that quarrel becomes, becomes a feud. Where that offense, I allow it to sink in and develop bitterness in my heart toward that person and, and lack of forgiveness toward them. And then it's hard to walk that back, right? And then there's another category of call, I'm calling it church sins, where he talks about dissension and division. Those are things that affect like a, like a body of believers. The foothold be, comes in when you say, oh, I'm going to listen to that gossip, or I'm going to spread that just a little bit, because I'll just make you think it's a prayer request, Right? Or when you hear something and, and you repeat something about somebody, but you don't talk to that person directly about it. You're talking about people instead of to people. Or when an issue starts to divide and, and you start to believe what people say, and you don't really uh, dig in to find out if the things that you've heard are actually true or not. And then what happens is that the unity of a, of a church body begins to be be um, rent and violence is done to that to that unity and and churches are split and divided and and again it's really hard to overcome that and repair that once it reaches a certain point so my point is that in many different ways we can allow footholds into our life when we allow the sinful nature of the flesh to have a little bit of space and we dabble in it and we're, we're not willing to cut that off and then over time it becomes a stronghold when, we're, when we aren't willing to repent of, of what we've allowed in our life. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful stuff. Some of that's really challenging. But I want to encourage you 
that there is hope, that God does give us. We need to take this seriously. The Bible talks about it quite a bit and warns us because it can really affect our relationship with God, but, but it doesn't leave us without hope. God has, gives us all of the resources that we need to win this battle. So I want to talk about that for a minute. This is what we're going to close with, is that, that we can win the war. We can win the war against the flesh by consciously choosing to believe the gospel again and by walking in the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes I've, I've felt like the Apostle Paul where he says, you know, man, I want to do God. I want to do what God wants, but I end up, it's just not easy to do, and I fi- find myself somewhere else. And, and you know, there's, there's just, I feel like a slave. I feel powerless. I feel like I can't win this battle. I feel like the Utah State defense against Alabama like, it's just a little overwhelming. And that's natural. And, and so, but I want to show you that it's not hopeless at all. Because in that very passage where the Apostle Paul is expressing the battle in his life and expressing the, the he says, man, I'm miserable. I'm wretched. I just feel like I can't win this. The very next verse and the very next verse after that, he gives us some hope and some encouragement here. So in Romans chapter 7, the very next thing he says, he says, you know, who can deliver me? He says, wow, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the next verse after that, which is in chapter 8, he says, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So if you belong to Jesus... If you're a follower of Christ, stop condemning yourself. I know how easy it is to self-condemn, and you start to think, oh, here I go again. Oh, man, I, I can't believe I'm still struggling with that. I can't believe what I, I said, what I did. He says, stop condemning yourself, because Jesus has paid for that sin. When he went to the cross, he paid for every sin that you will ever commit, past, present, future. He says, God doesn't condemn you if you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we just take it cavalierly. That doesn't mean we just go, oh, whatever. I'll just do whatever I want. Because the second thing he says is, look, don't continue to live that way. Why? Because there's a new power that's at work in you. There's this life-giving power of the Holy Spirit that's now operating in you if you belong to Christ. And so... No, we're not going to just continue to live in self-condemnation, but no, we're not going to just, just do whatever we want to either because we have the ability to do what we actually desire to do. The, the desires that the Holy Spirit puts in our life, we have the ability to do those because of His power at work in us. So that's what's encouraging today. That's what's hopeful today. Now, how does that happen? How do we work that out? A couple things. I want, to, I want to talk to you about reminding yourself every day about the gospel. Okay, the gospel, that just word just means good news. The good news is this. Well, it starts with bad news, right? We're hopelessly lost apart from Christ. That every single one of us, every single human being, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing we can accomplish to be worthy in His sight, to to change our condition from the inside out, to 
earn salvation or earn eternal life in any way. We're hopelessly lost. We're hopelessly sinful. We live in spiritual poverty. That's the bad news. The other side, though, the good news is that God has already done everything we need to be right with him. And all we have to do is call out to him and put our trust in him and what Jesus has already done. To, and, and he forgives our sin and he makes us new and gives us a new life and all that. That's the gospel that each one of us is far more lost and sinful than we can even imagine but each one of us is also far more loved than, than we can ever grasp. And so but the thing is that that's how we become a Christian in the first place, right? By, by recognizing that need and turning to God to meet the need. But that's not just something that happens at the very beginning of the Christian life. You come to faith and get saved, as the Bible says. No, the gospel is how we live our life every single day from that day forward. Every single day I recognize I'm needy and I recognize my spiritual poverty. I say, you know what, I can't overcome the flesh on my own. I don't have what it takes to win that battle. But every single day then I call out to God and I cast myself upon his mercy to do what I can't do that only he can do. God, I can't overcome the sinful nature, but you can. You already have. You've given me the Spirit. So I need to remind myself of the gospel every single day. We live the Christian life the very same way that we began it, in our need and in trust in what God has done. So I want to encourage you to keep reminding yourself of the gospel day in, day out, day in, day out. But then the second part, there's a lot of things that the Bible tells us about how we can have this victory. But let me just focus on one other thing, and that is to walk by the Spirit. Is this Holy Spirit has come and live in, lives in us, right? And, and He has this life-changing power, and He's leading us to desire uh, the things of God rather than, the, than sin. But how does that work out? How do we allow Him to do His work in our lives? Well, in Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 5 again, this is those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So there's a sense in which if you're, if you're a Christ follower, then, then your relationship with your sinful nature has changed. You've, you've, in effect, you've, you've crucified it. It's been crucified by Jesus. Now, it's still there and, and still, it's still at work, but we have a different relationship. It's dead to us, you might say. And so that leads us to the, the practical thing is that we can follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. And that phrase literally is keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that made me think about taking a walk. When you take a walk around your neighborhood or you go on a hike, you know, there's, a, there's a hundreds of choices that you make. Every time you take a step, you made a choice. Right, you made a choice to go forward or to go left or to go right, to go around that rock or to go down that path or to go up that path. And so you're making this accumulation of all these choices and ultimately all those choices together are going to bring you to a destination. Now, if you're just taking a walk around your neighborhood, you don't really think about every, every step. You, you kind of know the route. You've been over it a million times. It's kind of on autopilot. And so you don't have to really think about, oh, where do I go next? That's how a lot of us live the Christian life. We kind of live it on autopilot. We don't really think about the steps that we take. We've got habits. The habits might be helpful. They might be hindering us. 
We're kind of living on autopilot. But you know what? When you're in a war, you're going to be really careful walking through that, that war-torn city. You're going to be really careful about the steps that you take because you don't want to step on a landmine. You don't want to expose yourself to enemy fire. And so we're in a war spiritually, right? So I think one of the things that we learn about keeping in step with the Spirit is how conscious and aware we need to be of the choices that we make all day long, of the steps that we take, to be really conscious about where that next step is going to take me, to, I'm, I, where I don't want to just go on autopilot, but I want to be really aware of that next choice in my life and what its results are going to be and where it's going to lead me, what path it's leading me down. So that's, that's part of being in step with the Spirit. But since we're using a, <clears throat> a military metaphor of warfare today, let's think about that, that walk, that, that step. I think we, you'd have to think about marching. You know, I don't know. I've never been in the military. My, my brother was, and my son has been, and, and, and I remember them telling me about all the drill that they did, and, the, and you know, my, my brother marching up and down the field. Um, he was at the Air Force Academy, marching. They spent a whole summer just marching. And um, it made me think about this, that if, if you're on a hike with a bunch of friends, you know, you're going to kind of, some of them are going to go faster and go up first, and some of them are going to go slower, and some of them are going to stop and take a look at that plant and, and go around that rock on one side, and you might go around the other side, and you're going to go down by the stream. And, and so really, you're, you're really not walking in any kind of discipline or lockstep or whatever, but if you're, in a, if you're marching in military, you're going to be very focused on staying in step with everybody else in your, in your group. So soldiers don't meander to battle, right? And I think sometimes as Christians, we're kind of meandering into the battle. But if you're marching, you're going to be, first of all, you're going to be very aware of what your leader is telling you to do. So you have a drill sergeant, maybe, who's going to dictate how, uh, where you're going to go, how fast you're going to go, the cadence that you're going to use, and all the rest. And then you're going to be really focused in on you know, staying connected with, with your leader and your team. And so out of the corner of your eye, you're watching to make sure that your, your steps are falling left, right, left, right, left. And you don't get out of step, you know. And you make sure that your line is straight and clean and that you're going right where you're supposed to go. And I thought, you know, when, when it comes to keeping in step with the Spirit, that makes me think of, you know, we really, we really need to live in obedience to God God the Holy Spirit in our life. In other words, we don't just do whatever you want. We want to walk and live in a way that, that God tells us how to live. And the Holy Spirit tells us that primarily through the Bible. This is why when you open the Bible and you read the Bible, you're thinking consciously to yourself. You're reading that saying, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me here in this, in this passage? How is the Holy Spirit leading and directing me? And am I following Am I walking with, what, with respect to what he says? And that's why we emphasize Bible reading and prayer, and we emphasize doing that together with other Christians, getting together in, in groups and, and with mentors to do that together so that we have people who are helping us to keep in step with the Spirit every day. Now, <clears throat> at the end of every battle, there's a celebration of victory. There's a victory parade. Now, we're in the battle right now, this spiritual battle with the sinful nature, and it's one day we're going to have the victory parade. One day we're going to celebrate the victory. That's not going to happen until Jesus comes back or until we go to be with him. 
But I want to encourage you, there is a celebration in store. But for the mean, in the meantime, while we're living in the here and now, I also want you to understand that God has given you everything you need to win this battle. Now, I don't think a Christian is ever going to come to a place where I'm living sinlessly. Sinless perfection, is, I don't think, is a thing in the Bible. But we have the provision to live more consistently, regularly, in victory over the sinful nature in our lives. You know, there's going <clears> to <throat> be times when we slip. There's going to be times when we get out of step. And I want to I come back and share that with you in just a moment when we, when we come to the communion to take the Lord's table. But first, before we do that, I want to ask you, maybe some of you here today aren't sure that you are really ready to, to give your allegiance to Jesus, to let him be the leader of your life. I want to encourage you to do that today because you know what, where the life of following sin, being under the mastery of the sinful nature, you know where that's led you so far. You know the consequences that that has taken you down. And maybe you've tried to address that by making uh, rules, through, by, by keeping laws. You know, And I, I don't know how many of you have, I think all of us probably have said, my answer to this habit that I want to break is I'm going to make myself a regimen, and if I just follow these rules for myself, then I'll be free. But did, how, how often did that work? Or maybe you've tried to answer that by going the religious route. I say, I'm going to commit myself to religion or commit myself to church and then, and then God will give me you know, this freedom from these sinful behaviors and the consequences of them. Or maybe some of us, you know, you just said, no, I'm just going to let it go. I can't win. I'm just going to ride the rapids and, and let it go where it goes. But that always ends up destructive. But I want to encourage you today that the way to be free from that thing that's working in you is to give your life to Jesus. The way to beat that old master is to have this new master. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty for them and then he rose from the dead to demonstrate power of new life that he gives us to overcome the power of sin in our lives for all those who entrust themselves to him. He loves you. He died for you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. We encourage you to, to surrender to him today. If you're not sure what that means and you want to explore that a little bit more, we're here to talk to you after the service.